The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hey, wow. Thank you, John, for sharing your story. Very, very powerful. Hey, if you don't know, uh, if you do know how I am, I promise I'm not trying to do an impersonation of James Earl Jones this morning. Uh, it's been one of those weeks of the crud, and so I'll do my best not to cough a Steve in this mic all morning long, but thanks for uh, having me this morning. I'll be doing the Darth Vader impression later afterwards, so we'll join me afterwards. Hey, if you don't know him, my name is Shane. As Matt said, uh, my name is Shane Kritzer. been married to a sweet wife, Jennifer, for over 20 years. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, Chase is a high schooler. He's about to be 16 here in March. has his third driving lesson in L.A. today. Be praying? Oh, my gosh. They hit the interstate today in driving lesson number three, so we're going to see what happens. So blessed have Chase. He is going to be 16, and then Chloe is 12, will be 13 this year, and Charlie is nine. Yes, they all start with C's. Don't ask me what we were thinking, but have a beautiful family. And man, let me just say thank you so much uh, for welcoming us here to Story City. We've got the privilege of living in some great cities. Uh, Most recently moved here from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, absolutely. Uh, lived in New York City, Las Vegas, Nevada, and now we're just learning to live in L.A. Hopefully, our Super Bowl team, go Rams, right? Hopefully, they'll just do a better job than my Atlanta Falcons a couple years ago in making history to lose the worst way possible. All right, so we're hoping the Rams are going to kick tail this year. It's going to be a lot of fun. But seriously, thank you for welcoming our family. You guys have helped make it so much easier to transition to a great city like L.A. Uh, We live up in the suburbs in Santa Clarita. And by the way, I know I messed that up last week. uh, Jamelia, you should have corrected me. I said something about starting a a group with the Burbs. I had no idea there was a group called the Burbs. I was just meant I lived up in the Burbs in Santa Clarita. And we're excited to be getting a small group started, so I had no clue. So my bad. We got the burbs up there. You got the burbs in Burbank. Okay, so my fault. I'm learning. Remember, I'm new. Okay, I'm new to L.A. Okay, so we live up at Santa Clarita. And seriously, Story City just made it easier for us. Um, Our kids have loved jumping the student ministry with Chris and the guys. I mean, we only lived here maybe two weeks, and we were dressed up in neon playing kickball. Like, I don't know what happened, but we just got immersed quick. And so Story City has been such a great church to us. You welcomed us well. And I'm so thankful for it and allowing our family to plug in here. So thank you for having us, seriously. Uh, I'm really excited about our church and this series right now, Mission 555. And I'm not just totally excited because I work for the North American Mission Board um, as my day job and uh, being around Story City. But I'm excited because, um, you know what, more than, and this is a sad fact, but more than 2,000 evangelical churches a year actually close their doors, believe it or not. Over two, more than 2,000, seriously, and in the tribe we belong in, the Baptist world, around 800 of those at least are in the Baptist world, but you know why they close their doors? It's usually they close the doors because they forget there's a bigger mission. They start thinking inward, they don't think outward. And so I love our church because we don't think inward, we think outward. And I'm super excited about this series because that's what it's about. It's about those five networks that you're already involved in identifying those five people and looking for those five opportunities to invest in people. And so I am so super excited that Story City is one of those churches that knows that there's a bigger picture out there. Matt, last week, uh, talked about simple ways to jump into those opportunities by simply starting with praying for those people. And then this week, I'm going to jump to the second opportunity, and we're going to talk about serving them. So we got praying for them. And then this week, I'm going to talk about serving them. And I'm super excited about what the Lord's going to do. So if you have your device or you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn. We're going to be in the chapter of 10 of Luke. And let me start by praying that we're going to jump into Luke chapter 10. Father, we love you this morning. We're so thankful we get to be a part of your big kingdom activity in our small little world. 
God, we just pray that you would take the word and you'd apply it to our lives, Father, and we would learn to love people like you love us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Luke 10, verses 25 through 37 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're talking about serving, and we're going to do so when we look at a very familiar passage in Scripture, the story of the Good Samaritan. And again, I love the name of our church even, Story City. Obviously, we're in a city uh, that knows how to tell stories well, especially on the big screen. And each of us have a story that God has written for each of you and me. And our name is so reflective of Jesus because, honestly, he's the best storyteller ever. And the Good Samaritan story doesn't disappoint as it is rich in practical application as well as theological depth. So I love the story of the Good Samaritan. So Luke 10, starting at verse 25, on your device, your Bible, or on the screen behind me. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a Jewish leader, he stood up to test Jesus. Uh-oh, first mistake. <laughs> Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice, this guy is asking the age-old question of all religions. What do I got to do to get into heaven? But then secondly, notice, he's trying to trap Jesus. He doesn't sincerely necessarily want to know that answer. Verse 26, what is written in the law, he, Jesus, replied, how do you read it? All right, let's play this game. I'll turn a question on your question. Verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, Wow. That's a huge deal. Loving God with all your strength, your soul, your mind. That's a tall order in itself. But then also, care for your neighbor as much as you care about your own needs. Like, hurt when they hurt. Concern for their financial struggles. Weep for their sorrows. Worry about their futures. Like, that's a big deal. That's, a, that's the Jesus standard, caring for others' needs just like your own. Continues on, verse 28. Well, you've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this, and you'll live. Verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. All right, he's backing down. So he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? All right, all right, dude, well, we'll go there too. So he basically, he's trying to squeeze out of this situation now because he knows he's not doing those things Jesus just said about loving God and loving your neighbor. But also, he's trying to trap Jesus about, well, okay, you say that, but who's actually my neighbor? Let's talk about that. So what's Jesus going to do? Well, he's going to do what he's really good at. He's going to tell a story. And without it being too obvious, he's going to show you and me that we can't earn heaven. The first question, remember, the guy asked, how do I get there? And then secondly, he's going to show us how to love and serve our neighbor well. So verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And when he says down, he really means down here. This was like a 17-mile journey. It was 3,000 feet elevation above Jericho down a very steep, long, dirty road. It was actually known in those days as the Bloody Pass because so many people were robbed and even left for dead or died being robbed on this path. There was huge rock formations on each side where robbers could hide and they could jump out and attack their victims very easily. So he knew what he was doing setting up the story with the Bloody Pass on this narrow path when he was coming down. So he's coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Look, best of the best religious here, the priest, right? He had been to Jerusalem to purify himself, which they had to do on a regular basis. And basically then, one of the laws said, and if you ever touched a dead man after you've been purified, 
you got to go back on that journey, trek back up there, and you got to go purify yourself again. So he didn't want to touch this guy because he knew, I got a lot of work to do if I touch that guy. And so he didn't want to do that. So he left him for dead. 32, so too, a Levite, okay, Levite's like the JV team to the varsity team, right? It's the JV to the priest team. It's like the security guard to the police, to the police officer. It's kind of like me to Matt and Tyler when it comes to preaching, okay? JV team, that's the Levite. When he came to the place of Psalm, passed by on the other side, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity, had compassion on him. Now notice, we'll go back to this later, but he didn't start with what that guy did or didn't do, right? He started with how he felt. Verse 34, he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Stayed the night with him, took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. So basically, an open tab. He took the guy, dropped him off, gave him an open tab. Look, would you find a guy you never met, drop him off at the Motel 6 and give him your visa and say anything he wants? I don't think so. This was a huge open tab, whatever he needed, I'll take care of it. Verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. There's so much good stuff in the story. And we don't have time for some of it today, but this story instructs us in the ways we're to serve people around us, and specifically as we seek to intentionally engage our five that hopefully you're praying for. I know my family got together around dinner, and we put our five people down in each of our five spheres of influence, and we're praying. This story talks about that next step, serving them. And I think what I want to do, I'm a simple guy. I apologize, but I'm real simple. But I want to break this down for us in those basic, simple terms of who, when, how, and then let's end with the why. So who do we serve? When do we serve them? How can we serve them? And then lastly, I want to jump back to why serve them at all? Okay, so the first one, who? Jesus, here he tells the answer to the question in verse 27, it's our neighbor. But when he tells the story, he tells us that our neighbor is who? Anyone in need, the way he describes the story. So who is our neighbor? And our neighbor is anyone in need. Jesus uses the Samaritan in the story to teach us that anyone with a need is a neighbor, and we are to serve them no matter what the barriers to serving them may be. If anyone in this story of the three dudes, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, if anybody had a good excuse not to help, it was the Samaritan. Like, you got to remember, the Samaritans were enemies, stark enemies of the Jews, okay? The Samaritans were considered unclean half-breeds by the Jews, but then on the other side, the Samaritans, they claimed they were the good guys because they were from the Old Testament land of Joseph, and he was the stud of the Old Testament. They didn't like each other at all. And so Jesus, of course, always good at irony, he tells a story to this Jewish leader about an injured Jewish man about to be served by their, order, their mortal enemy, the Samaritan. So notice in verse 37, the expert in the law, he couldn't even say the name Samaritan. When Jesus asked him who was the neighbor, he said, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan. But even in the midst of the cultural challenge, you got to remember, immediately when he saw the need, he had compassion and he served. I don't know about you, but I know my neighbor, sometimes it tends to be those who I have a lot in common with, right? The easy ones. 
I hear my buddy needs help moving. I'm there, or at least my truck is there. Or I want to help him just because I like to hang out with him anyway, or a family member or a community group member gets sick and I want to take a meal over. All good things, right? But the story teaches our neighbor is even those we barely know. And not only barely know, our neighbor may be someone we're in direct opposition with. They may be someone that is different religious beliefs, different race, different political views, different socioeconomic status. Just like the differences in the Samaritan and the Jew. But Jesus is telling us that as followers of Christ, that knowing your neighbor is not about who they are. Hear me. It's not about who they are, their status, their friend, their foe, but it's about whose they are, God's. It's not about who they are. It's about whose they are. We are all created in God's image and belong to God and are special to him. Therefore, we're to care, serve all people, no matter the barrier, anyone who's in need. But hear this, connecting with your neighbor and seeing the need, it isn't always as challenging as Samaritan and the Jew story. It doesn't have to be that hard. It could be as simple as knowing who lives next door. Now, living in an urban environment like a city like LA, and we're definitely learning that, it's been like that in New York City and Vegas, it's probably likely your next door neighbor may be a cross-cultural experience. That's all right, and that's the beauty of our city, actually. I love that about our city. But it's not likely that it has to be as hard as the Samaritan in the story, overcoming generations of deep animosity and hatred toward that neighbor. But the question is, do you even know their name? Do you know who lives next door? Do you know who your neighbor is on either side of the wall in your apartment or your townhome? Do you know who lives upstairs, who lives downstairs? Do you know who lives across the street? What's their favorite food? Do they have family around? Do, they see, do you see their need either physically or spiritually? Do you know them? I can't tell you how many churches I've been in, the role I get to play with the North American Mission Board, and I meet people all the time who don't even know their neighbor's name next door. We live in a garage society. We go in, we shut the door, we go in, we open the door, we go out, we come back in, we close the door. My neighbors, they probably think I'm a little crazy. I had just unloaded the moving truck when we moved back here August 1st, and within two hours, I was asking the 15-year-old son, Malachi, to come over and help me move stuff. I never even met the guy before, but he was in my house, and he, he got Chick-fil-A out of the deal, so I think he was happy. <laughs> and Tyler, across the street, he's probably really tired of me borrowing his stuff and asking questions about how to live in this crazy city. But here's the deal. I know them now. I can call them friend, and even though we don't hang out every weekend all the time and are crazy type, but because of that, no matter what, because we at least know each other, when the need arises, I know they'll be ready to help me, and I know I'm ready to help them. All right? So let's move on. I can't take too long on that. But there's so much we could talk about, but we know who our neighbor is. Let's answer this quick question of when do we serve our neighbor? When do we serve them? And I think the answer is when you truly love people. When do we serve them? When you truly love them. And when we truly love all people, guess what? You'll see the need. But it's really hard to see that need, either physically or spiritually, and do something unless you love people. There's two ways I want to mention real quick that I find oftentimes keep us from loving people and seeing the need. The first one is we're too busy, honestly, because we're looking out for number one. Look, I get it, especially in a city like L.A., it'll beat you down. It's a beast. I've been learning. I've been driving all over this city. It's crazy. I can't get home without ways. You know, how it's, you know what it's like. Also, but I think it's why Jesus uses the bloody pass as the setting for this story. 
it's not always easy to serve, just like it's not always easy to do stuff in our great city, L.A. But even so, when the Samaritan came up on the man, remember what Jesus says first about his reaction? Verse 33 says, he saw him and what? He took pity. He had compassion for him. He didn't think to himself, what if I stop and get robbed also? Man, I'm tired. Man, there's no time. There's a lot of traffic on this trail. No. Jesus, with how the, he, he started with how this man felt, and before his actions, when he saw the hurt man, it was about how he felt. Do you really see people, or do you just look through people as you continue on with your daily business? Or honestly, I was thinking about that this week. Maybe we need to ask ourselves, do we see people, or do we just see our screens? Do we really see people? As followers of Christ, we are called to truly love people. Jesus says, John 13, 34 and 35, love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone would know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Man, pray and ask God to help you just love people. When you love people, you'll see the need. Other reason, real quick, I want to mention why I don't think we truly see the people and see the need is because we see people as projects. And in our evangelism efforts especially, we can typically sometimes fall in this trap of checking off our Christian duty list and we see people and meet needs because we have an evangelism project we're trying to accomplish. Listen, we don't want to be Christians at Story City who serve people because we want to get anything out of those we serve. So the reason we serve is not to trick someone into knowing Christ. If that were the case, if the only reason we serve people is to get them to follow Jesus, then guess what? We'd have to say that Jesus failed. Why would I say that? Why would I say that because Jesus served or healed, if everybody followed him, he failed? Because here's the deal. When he did serve and when he did heal, not everybody followed. Luke 17, 11 tells us that Jesus healed 10 men of leprosy and only one came back. Notice Nine people didn't even follow after he healed them. John 5, 1 through 4 says Jesus healed an invalid, and the guy didn't even know who Jesus was when he healed him until later. And when he later found out who Jesus was, guess what he did? He went back and ratted him out and got him in trouble. He didn't follow. So when we say Jesus healed to get them to follow, we're wrong. He would have failed if we said that. He didn't do that. He didn't heal them just to get them to follow. He healed them because they were broken. He loved them. And that tells us how we are to serve. Because he loved them like he loves us, he genuinely saw people as image bearers of his father and truly loved people, so we should too. Therefore, we don't serve to get them to follow. We serve when we see the need, which is born out of a true sense of love and compassion. And here's the deal, guys. The world will know you're different by the way you love. And they'll naturally ask you why. And then you'll have plenty of opportunity to talk about the one that we love. It'll come naturally. So here's what we need to do. I want to talk about some practical ways of application of how we can do this. And then again, we'll end with the why. How can we practically serve our neighbor? Matt talked about praying for them. Now we're talking about serving them. We know who our neighbor is. We know when we're to serve them. It's anyone in need, and that's our neighbor. At any time we see it, we're to do it. Let me give you some few practical ways. Let's keep this easy. Let's keep this simple. The first one is look with intentional eyes. It's real basic. Just look with intentional eyes. 
We moved to a house in Atlanta. We had rented one for a while, and then we decided to buy one. We were going to invest our lives there for a few years. We moved to this cul-de-sac, and we moved there. We wanted to be looking with intentional eyes on how we can meet needs and serve people. And so we wanted to get to know the folks. And so even before we bought the house, we knocked on the door next door, and we met this lady named Sharon and come to find out she was a widow. Her husband had just died the year before of cancer. She lived by herself. Uh, sad situation, nice lady, and we were looking for ways to serve. In Atlanta, it's kind of like L.A., actually, there's a lot of hills where we live, and so a lot of the driveways are real crazy steep, and just like we live now, too, you got the big, huge trash cans. I don't know why they make them so big, but they're massive, they're real heavy, and so we were like, hey, you know what? Chase thought, why don't we pull our trash cans up for? And so for the next three years, in a way to serve our neighbor in a very basic, simple way, Chase went over Tuesday night, pulled her cans up the, up the steep driveway, set them on the street. Wednesday morning, at some point today, we went, took them back down. She never had to ask us to do that. We just noticed that she needed that, and we wanted to build a relationship with and show a practical need. And she could not believe that a, at that time, Chase was 12, 13 years old, pull, would do that and not ask for anything in return and just serve those needs. It opened up such huge, great conversations with her and with the neighbors around who watched Chase serve so faithfully for three years, week in, week out, doing nothing harder for him, but huge for her, pulling trash cans up a steep driveway, putting the street, putting them back down. Just keeping an open mind, keeping your eyes open, looking for those practical needs is a great way to serve your neighbor and to serve people. And let me say this, most Christians, I find we seem to do better in times of crisis, honestly, rather than the simple practical everyday needs. It's like times of natural disaster, crisis like terrible shootings that happen in our communities, loss of loved ones. It seems like we're really rally as a church in those big times, even as a nation. I don't know if it's just the adrenaline of it. I don't know if it's the recognition that comes with it or what, but here's the deal. And this goes back to kind of number one, knowing who your neighbor is. Who do you think your neighbor is going to reach out to even when the hard times hit? When the really big needs come, who are they going to reach out to? The person they know. So even if you're ready to jump when the big stuff happens, when all those big crises happens, you want them to call on you because you did the little things. Your neighbor is going to call on you when those big, terrible things happen in their life when you've reached out and you've done the small things. So build the relationship, serve your neighbor, make it easy, look intentionally for those little things around you can do. And then when the big things happen, they're gonna naturally wanna come to you and you're gonna have the opportunity to minister and to share and to serve in a such bigger way. Second, real easy, give a gift. Second way how you can serve your neighbor, just give a gift. The Samaritan, what did he do? He actually put the guy on his donkey and he walked. Here, let me give you my donkey and let you ride. Did you notice that? And then what did he do? He gave an open tab. He gave huge gifts. Man, keep it simple. New neighbor moves to town. Take cookies over. Serve them. Welcome them. Introduce yourself. Just give them a gift. Or you could offer to store stuff in your backyard while they have a wedding in their backyard. Yep, done that, actually. Been there. Uh, Jennifer was out in the side. We have in our house up in Santa Clarita, you've got these kind of alleyways on either side. You got a wall in between the neighbors. You know what it's like here. And Jennifer was out there taking our trash out. And she came back and goes, Hey, there's a guy like putting a ladder and like putting a bunch of stuff over in our alleyway. Like, do you know? Oh, oh, my bad. I forgot. 
I actually told the neighbor that I heard they were having a wedding in their backyard, and I noticed they had a bunch of stuff in their backyard, and I was like just trying to be helpful. I was like, hey, you can store some of that stuff over in my spot, and then that way you put all the tables up for the wedding, you got, you got plenty of room. I just kind of forgot to tell Jennifer. She's like, why is this guy putting all this stuff over here? <laughs> it's because I told him he could do that. It's totally cool. Look, it didn't hurt us other than walking to my trash can and have a bunch of junk there. I didn't know what it was sitting in my alleyway. But it was the easy way just to serve my neighbor and say, look, hey, I know you got that going on. I know you got a bunch of stuff. Why don't you just put it over here? There's no big deal. It's just an easy way with intentional eyes and looking for what, and that was a gift I could give them by saying, you saw my space. I don't need all this. You use it. And it just opens up the door, and they want to know why you're like that. Just serve. Look for intentional eyes, but give gifts. Hey, everybody loves gifts. We just got done with Christmas, right? Everybody loves getting gifts. Look for a simple way to give a neighbor a gift. All right? Number three. This is big. Are you ready? This is a big one. All right? It's been real simple, but this is getting to getting be, be real hard. He already put it up there. Invite someone for dinner. That's hard, right? Invite somebody for dinner. Hospitality is serving. I think as a society, we've began to lose our gift of hospitality. Just invite someone over for dinner. Not that going out to eat is bad. Trust me, I love some Chick-fil-A. Burbank, you got the Chick-fil-A now? Hey, Santa Cruz, we've already been there. Now you got it. I love me some in and out I love the guacamole just like Tyler does, made right at the table. But there's something more personal and relational about inviting someone in your home. Not to mention by coming to your home, now you're truly serving them. Not only by just inviting them in as an act of service, but now you're personally serving them with a meal that you've prepared with your own hands, your own time, and you've placed it in front of them to enjoy. Hey, you guys remember the story called Zacchaeus? You know, the wee little man, right? All right, when Jesus came up, what he said, Zacchaeus was up in the tree. Jesus walked up and said, hey, Zacchaeus, you come down, what? For I'm going to your house today, right? He said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down, for we're going to the steakhouse today. He didn't. He said, I'm going to your house today. Why did Jesus say that? Because he wanted to be in his home. He wanted to do life with him. There's story after story in the Bible of Jesus having meals with people in their home. So your pastoral team wants to help catalyze this movement of hospitality. Matt mentioned earlier, we want to invest back into you as you're investing your generosity into Story City. So we want to do something very practical for you. We want to help you catalyze this movement of hospitality. It's not huge, but a small way will hopefully catalyze big movement. We want to give everybody here today, one per family, a $15 Ralph's grocery gift card. All right? We want you to take that gift card. If you're meat eaters, buy the meat. If you're veg eaters, buy the veggies. Use that $15, pick whatever you want. We just want to catalyze thinking this way. Go to the store, figure out the menu, buy something. Use this gift card to catalyze part of your meal, and we want you to invite at least one person or one family over over the next month. Make your goal in a month and have dinner with them. But look, it's not somebody that's already part of Story City you know well. It's not somebody in your community group, all right? This is somebody that you want to get to know better, you want to build a relationship with, and you're going to invite them in their home. Look, we're not asking you to do something we're not willing to do ourselves. We're doing the same thing. Um, since when we moved to Atlanta, one of our goals, we moved into a, a cul-de-sac. 
There was about seven homes in the cul-de-sac. And Jennifer and I and our family said, our goal is to have every one of these people in this cul-de-sac in our home at some point. And I'm glad to say, man, that first year we had everybody in our home. And honestly, by the time we left, multiple times. I was thinking about that as I was preparing this message this weekend. How many times just since we've been here, and I'm not saying this to puff ourselves on the back, I want you to know we're doing the same thing we're asking you to do. In the five and a half months we've lived here, I was trying to make a list and just add up who have Jennifer and I had in our home. And we've had at least six families that I can count in our home since we've lived here in five and a half months and have nothing to do with Story City. We're asking you, pick one. Just pick one. Go to the store, plan a meal, serve them, get to know them. We're not asking you to have a theological treatise or anything like that, okay? We're just saying, invite somebody over. I know it can be uncomfortable for some of you. I know we're not extroverts, and that's okay. But remember, the goal is hospitality and relationship. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, Paul says, because we care for you so much, we were delighted to what? Share with you not only the gospel of God, what? But our lives as well. Opening your home and sharing a meal is sharing your lives with others. It's an act of service. It opens up meaningful relationships and meaningful conversations. Let me end with this. We said we talked about the who, the when, some practical, real easy steps right there, the how. Let me end with the why. Why do we do this? Why do we serve our neighbor? Why even care about this thing we call the mission? Mission 555, why? Why do that? In the Good Samaritan story, Jesus teaches we typically identify ourselves with one of those three gentlemen, the priest, the Levi, or the Samaritan, right? But what if I said that although we have much to learn from the actions of that Samaritan about serving, what if I said that maybe we shouldn't be identifying with the Good Samaritan? What if that's not the guy we're supposed to be putting ourselves in his shoes? What if I said that the one we should be identifying with is the guy actually hurting at the side of the road. And I think Jesus wants us to realize that he's the good Samaritan. And we are the beaten down, hurting man left on the street for dead. And Jesus is the good Samaritan who sees us with love and compassion. And he decides to step down from his deity, step down from his cultural position, step down into our cultural position, our depravity, and he decides to help us in our misery. Way more than this Jewish man and the Samaritan are opposite from each other. You can't get any more opposite than humans dead to sin and Jesus, the perfect Savior. We are the ones left for dead and he was sent to save us. We are the broken, and he is the healer. We are the one in need of grace, and Jesus came along who is full of grace. He didn't serve. He didn't have to serve, but he did. Although we can learn from the actions of the Samaritan, ultimately we learn to serve from the very one who served all humanity. We don't love or serve because it's a good idea or it's an effective method of evangelism. We love because he first loved us. We serve because he first served us. By living the life we couldn't live, he died the death we deserve. He defeated death once for all. And thank God he put Jesus on our narrow path and rescued us when we were down. Thank 
God, Jesus was uncomfortable for us. How can you experience that kind of grace and not become graceful and not serve? Let me encourage you, know your neighbor. Serve your neighbor. Not out of Christian duty, not out of some Jesus juke checkbox list, but love with a grateful response that he first loved us. And look, if you're here today and you don't know what I'm talking about and you don't know and you haven't experienced that love of Jesus, your Story City team wants you to know that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we want to talk to you about that. We want to help you be full of that grace that he's offered you. Come down front afterwards, talk to one of our pastors, come out at the guest services, the first steps table. We will explain what it looks like to have that relationship so that you can be full of that grace and that you can then serve others as you tell them about the one who served you. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you stepped into our misery and that you saved us. God, I be pray that because you served us, you loved us, that God, we love others. That God, we truly serve people because we love them. Not because they're a part of our duty as a believer, but Father, because you love them, we love them. I pray for our church, Father. I pray that we'd make a difference in our city because of the way we love people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.